You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and a golden bowl filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them, Say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is God's word. All right. Good to see you guys. It's great to be with you. It's a a real encouragement to me. just to be able to, to worship with you this morning and um, just to see what the Lord's doing uh, here at King's Cross. Uh, brothers and sisters, partners in the gospel, uh, I, uh, I trust that uh, things have not been built up too much uh, here, uh, but I now am in the course of adjusting my, my stated goals here to uh, just make everyone cry. Uh, so that is, if we can get weeping uh, today together, then we have uh, succeeded. No, that's, uh, that's, not, that's not a good goal, I don't think, uh, for me or for, uh, for this text, although uh, I, I kind of uh, um, share what Aaron uh, mentioned. Is this, is, this is one of a handful of texts for me that it's really hard for me to read through and, not, and just kind of like as I enter into the text and not in some way, form, or fashion just be kind of captivated by it. Uh, I don't uh, want to... Oh, that's great, yeah. Uh, gives me uh, multiple screens here. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, um, there's something about this scene that just kind of captures me. It, it, uh, y- long before 
uh, TNT claimed the the little moniker, right? We know drama. If you guys ever watch the the TV or the, the just the uh, the channel, right? They we know drama. And I l- read this text and I think John gets drama. This is this has got to be one of the most dramatic scenes in all of the scriptures. Uh, maybe r- rivaling the Isaiah six kind of passage of just this this woe is me and and beholding the glory of God in the throne. This scene has. Every Everything that you need to just get, get caught up in the, the anxiety and the pressure and the, the just the wondering, how is this going to work? It is, it is just like kind of any uh, action or suspense movie worth its salt where the heroes are, are getting to the, the end of the, the journey and they're trying to accomplish whatever their great feat is. And it looks like towards the end, kind of everything is going to fall apart. And you as the audience, we as the audience are left there wondering, how is this? going to get resolved? How is this all going to come together? And friends, as we read this text, as we walk through it, I don't want to, I don't want to dissipate that tension. I, I think what John is trying to do is heighten that tension for us. He's, we're entering into Revelation chapter 5, and he is trying to make us feel the weight of the throne room of heaven. He is trying to help us enter into this scene where like all eternity feels like it hangs in the balance and we are left wondering is not only how is this going to work out but is this going to work out we are ushered into the very throne room of heaven and there seems to be this kind of crisis that is hanging over the air and we are wondering is it all going to be resolved? As you read in the text or heard in the text, there does get to be some resolution, but I don't want to get there too quickly. So let's just walk through this text and let's let it kind of raise some questions for us. Let it, let it ask some questions of us that we can kind of examine our own hearts We can be caught up in this drama so that John can teach us what he's trying to teach us, so that the Lord can reveal to us what he's making known to the Apostle John in this vision. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Revelation is this series of visions that the uh, old Apostle John, the man who walked with Jesus during his ministry, he's now an old man, he's uh, isolated in an island in exile, and the, the Lord meets him and gives them these visions of things that are going on in heaven, things that have gone on, things that will be going on. God is making known his plan uh, to the Apostle John, and John is instructed to capture these visions and to pass them on to us. And one of the things that God wants uh, John to see and wants us to see is this dramatic scene being uh, kind of un- unrolled, unraveled unra- uh, here in Revelation chapter 5. It says in verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. Before we go any farther, we've got to ask the question, what is going on with this scroll here? What is going on with this piece of paper? 
It's, it's rolled up, it's, it's got seven seals on it, and there have been various ideas that have been put forth uh, about what the scroll is. Some have, have suggested that this scroll is some kind of legal document, maybe like a deed or something like that, uh, where uh, some have suggested it's, it's kind of the title deed to the whole universe. It's the, the ownership and responsibility of all creation that the one seated, seated on the throne has in his right hand, the responsibility the authority, the ownership of everything that has ever existed. Some have said that. Some, it's just a scroll. Maybe it's a book. It's something like the Bible. It's the will of God itself that is written down and captured in this scroll. I think when we read the book of Revelation that we, the best way to understand this scroll is something like it is, it is the plan of God for the, the full and final redemption of all creation. It is God's perfect saving plan captured, written down, and ready to be revealed, ready to be unraveled, ready to, ready to be accomplished. You can see this if you just want to flip. You don't even have to, uh, we're not going to read anything, but if you just have your Bible and see kind of the, uh, uh, the headings in your Bible over the next chap- couple chapters, in, verses, in chapter 6 and 7 in the beginning of 8, the scroll is being opened. And as it is being opened, God's judgment, his, his fulfillment of his saving and judging righteousness purposes are being kind of accomplished. They're being ushered in. They're being unleashed on all creation. It is God's perfect saving and and redemptive plan that is meeting its climax in this scroll. And yet, at the beginning of chapter 5, we look at that scroll and something's wrong, isn't it? The scroll is sealed up. Now, we're at the end of the Bible here. If you're familiar with the Bible, God's, God's plan, his purposes, they've been developing, they've been kind of progressing throughout the, 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 uh, the history of mankind. We can even go on eternity past. God has had this plan, and here we get to the end, and like the final answers, the final solution, the final accomplishment of all of that plan, it's in a scroll, and it's in his hand. And yet it's sealed. It's locked up. And we're left wondering, how is this going to come about? How is it that everything God has been doing from eternity past is going to finally reach its, its planned fulfillment, its conclusion, its apex, its accomplishment? How is it that God is going to complete what he started and that helps us understand why in verse 2, you, the drama is, is building. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? All of heaven is saying, this is it. This is the thing we've been waiting for. This is the thing that all of eternity has been driving to. Who can bring it about? And, and yet, in verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. That is bad news. And yet, 
or sorry, and rather, I think it explains what happens in verse four where John says, I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look at it. All of eternity, all of God's saving plan, his saving and redemptive purposes, they're wrapped up in this scroll, they're sealed, and John is saying, if we can just find somebody who can open the scroll, and all of eternity is, is kind of bottlenecked at this one point, this one question, who is worthy? Who can do it? Who's worthy to open the scroll? The question of, of worth, worthiness, is something that is kind of ubiquitous for us, right? It's everywhere in our culture and context. We just use it in small things. Uh, maybe if I just say, hey, like I've got, uh, I've got a job for you, it's gonna uh, take you probably a month or so to accomplish. And, uh, and maybe you're looking for work and you're like, okay, this is, this is great, sign me up, I wanna do this. And you say, it, it's gonna pay about $3 a day. You're gonna be like, no, why? Because it's not worth my time. It's not, it's not valuable enough for me to give myself to that much time and energy and effort to only get $3 over the course of the day, right? It's not, it's not worth my time. We, 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 we have this impulse to kind of weigh out, is something valuable enough for me to sacrifice what is taken? Does, is there enough inherent worth or, or value in that thing for me to, to sacrifice what is needed to, uh, to, accomplishment, to accomplish it? Uh, this, this idea of, of, of uh, worthiness or worth, inherent value, is captured a lot in movies. I mean, great uh, kind of myths and legends. You just think of like um, the sword and the stone. Right, the old cartoon? What is it that, that, that uh, is trying to happen or we're looking to happen in the sword and the stone? Well, get, believe it or not, there is a sword and it's in a stone, okay? And the question is, how is the sword that is in the stone gonna get out of the stone, okay? And lots of people wanna go up to the stone and see if they can get the sword in the stone, sword out of the stone, okay? And time after time, person after person, strong men, uh, 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 kings and reputable, you know, uh, royalty and all that. They come and they try to get the sword out of the stone and yet none of them are worthy. And so it's eventually this little boy who is worthy. My children and therefore my whole family is immersed in Encanto right now, right? Okay, the parents in the room are nodding their head. Yes, the Encanto movie, it's a new Disney movie. Uh, if you would like to only sing one set of songs for the rest of your life, you should watch this movie. Uh, if you would like to keep your, your musical interests varied, uh, then you should not watch this movie because you will get locked in and you will never leave. Um, at least that's what's happening at our house. Uh, but in one of the, the, the songs, the, the, the third song, I can sing the whole thing for you. Louisa is really strong, and, but her, her power is, that's, that's her power, she's super strong. Uh, her power is weakening. And in the course of that song, she asks the question, do I become worthless if, if the power goes away, if my strength goes away? And her whole kind of self-understanding identity is shaken to its core because she's saying, is my whole worth wrapped up in this thing that I am able 
to do. And we could go on and on and uh, talk about other examples of people questioning uh, one another's worth, of not giving one another the worth and the dignity and value that they're, that they're assigned or that they have in themselves. This is part of the whole question of kind of racial justice that has been kind of developing and we've kind of in the middle of it right now or in the back end of, of uh, really a, a century of having to fight for this, this basic reality that just because someone is kind of not white and middle class, they still have value and dignity and worth and that is something that we should fight for and proclaim. Why? Because there's worth in, in the person themselves. There's value in who they and they ought to be treated accordingly. We are always in our culture and society, we are judging and assessing worthiness. And here in the throne room is no different. That's a question that he's asking. That's what, that's what this, this angel is proclaiming. That is what this mighty angel is asking. Who has the worth? Who has the value? Who has the, the dignity? Who has the, the right credentials? Who's, who's done and accomplished the right things to not just you know go and like, uh, uh, be able to earn enough money for the day or anything like that or, or uh, to, to run for president or something, to accomplish and fulfill God's saving purposes for all creation. Who is worthy? And no one is found. No one is found. And that's, I think, meant to do a couple things for us. One, it's meant to to like I've mentioned, kind of catch us up in the drama of the throne room. We're meant to kind of look around and say, in almost a heart of despair, God, is it over? Did we get all this way and it's just gonna fall apart? But we should not, when we look at this passage and see that no one is worthy, we should not presume ourselves just mere spectators. We're candidates. We're challengers. The angel is not just looking out in the world and saying, who is worthy? He's looking at us. And he's saying, are you worthy? Are you, do you presume yourselves to be, to be worthy? And friends, let me just speak to King's Cross Church this morning. Do you presume yourselves to be worthy? Are you going on this great endeavor of planting a church, of sacrificing comfort and resources and time and energy? Do you presume that that makes you worthy to accomplish God's purposes? Do you presume that by your efforts and your energies and your sacrifices that you're somehow earning something from the Lord and that maybe, just maybe, we in our hearts are thinking we're doing great things and when he looks around and he says, who is worthy? We maybe say, well, I mean, I'll give it a shot. I'll take a stab at it. It's almost like he wants to look at us and say, are you sure you wanna, you sure you wanna do that? You sure you wanna put yourself forward as a candidate, as a challenger? If we do that, we're shown to be imposters. If you're like me and you enjoy the Marvel movies, there's this great scene from one of the Avengers movie where Thor, which I think you might have made a Marvel reference in the last like week or two, I was listening to your sermon, so forgive me, uh, but they're everywhere. Uh, 
Thor has got this hammer, and the whole thing about the hammer is whoever's worthy is able to wield the hammer, right? And so in one of the early Avengers movies, the hammer's just sitting on the ground, and all the other superheroes are trying to just, like, budge the hammer. They're trying to pick it up, and one after one, they can't, they can't really... Uh, uh, even even make it move a little bit. And Thor's just kind of sitting back laughing because all of them are showing themselves to be unworthy of it. And, you know, the, the, the comedy of the scene is like, for just a, a little slight moment, Captain America, like, is able to nudge it and he starts to get a little nervous, right? We might imagine ourselves to be something like Captain America in that scene. Who is worthy? Maybe if I got up there and I, I, I gave it a shot, I could just nudge it a little bit. Maybe, maybe I'm worth it. Maybe I have the value, the dignity. Maybe I've sacrificed enough. Maybe I've accomplished enough. Maybe I've preached the gospel enough. Maybe I've done enough of the hard things. The point is not just searching. The point is exposing us. Who among us is worthy? And we are all meant to look not just out there and weep, but look at our own lives and realize we are not worthy either. We bring nothing to the table of God's redemptive plan except our sin and our need to be rescued. We do not kind of contribute to this in a way that he is kind of thankful for our generosity or anything like that. This call for the one who is worthy is a call for us to examine ourselves and think that even as we walk in obedience and do great things, sacrifice much, walk faithfully before the Lord, the answer to the question, who is worthy to accomplish God's saving purposes? The camera pans on the crowd, including us, and it keeps moving. None of us are worthy. And so we are are invited to join with John in this longing for the kingdom, but finding ourselves impotent to do anything about it. And we can weep and say, God, is it all coming to nothing now? Is there no one who is worthy? And yet in one of the most, I think, beautiful transitions in all of the scriptures, in verse five, one of the elders says to John, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. There is this declaration, this proclamation. Friends, the throne room of heaven, looking, searching for the one who is worthy, seeing no one. We find ourselves in our despair and saying, will God actually accomplish what he has promised? And when everything looks like it's in doubt, You say, behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is this phrase that that is reckoning back to Genesis chapter 49 where where Jacob is is, uh, doling out prophecies and gifts to all of his sons and he gets to Judah and said, Judah, you're gonna be like a a lion's cub who's gonna gonna walk with a kind of royalty and and all the nations are in a sense gonna, gonna kind of owe you something and everybody's looking at him like, Judah, that guy? And we look, read throughout the Old Testament and we just feel like Judah is not, like something's going on here more than just Judah the son. There is one who this is pointing to and he is going to be kind of the, 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 the one who has power and authority over all the nations. And, and the angel says, weep no more, the one you've been waiting for since Genesis 49. He's conquered. He's here. 
This, this one, this image of power and authority is also an image of faithfulness. God's own faithfulness. This is the, the root of David. A reference to Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 and 10 and other places throughout the scriptures where there's a promise that God's, God's promise to the line and the lineage of David would not, be, would not be go unfulfilled, but instead out of the stump of this line of Jesse, this, this promised Messiah would shoot out. Out of the stump where everything looks dead, there's going to be a, a shoot. There's gonna be new life. There's gonna be the promise fulfilled through this, this root that brings forth a new light and, and a, a new line, a new, a new uh, uh, hope. And it's gonna be a sign to all nations of their salvation. It's no, no wonder that in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus just explicitly says, I am the root and descendant of David. The one you've been hoping for out of, out of the root, this shoot that, uh, that, that kind of pops forth and comes out, I'm him. This is an image of God's faithfulness to his promises from generations ago and his grace to the nation. Here, the one who is worthy has entered the throne room. It is the, the image of God's power prophesied in the Messiah. His, his, the image of his faithfulness prophesied in this line of, of Jesse, this root of David. The lion in this root has established his worthiness. He's shown up with the right credentials and he's done so through conquering, it says. But what has he conquered? Who has he conquered how is it that he has shown himself to be worthy? Well, that's not really made clear to us yet. All that we've been told is there is hope for you. There is hope in this scene of desperation. There is a promise that there is actually one who can take the scroll, open its seals, and accomplish God's saving purposes. And so let's just take a look. Let's go with it. Okay, John's saying, no, look, there's, there's one. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the root of of Jesse, he's here, he's conquered, he's able to do so. And then read with me in verse six. John says, then I saw like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So did you catch what happened there? Did you catch the, the transition? We have been told that there is one, a mighty conquering lion who has shown up and maybe we're inclined to think all right here comes the Lord Jesus here is the one who is worthy he has the credentials he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies he is the one who is going to bring he's going to execute judgment on all God's enemies he's going to bring in the kingdom go with me if you've got your bible turn back to revelation chapter 1 this is what I expect to see when in verse four we say, or sorry, verse five, we say, behold, here is one who is worthy. Here is the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here is the, the root of, of Jesse. Here is one who is able to open the scroll, who is worthy to open the scroll. 
This is what I expect to see. If you turn back to Revelation chapter 1. Let's see here. If you read verse, starting in verse 12. There was a voice talking and it says, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like a son of man. Here we go. Here it is. Dressed in a robe with a golden sash around his chest, wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow. And his eyes are like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronzes as, it fi- as if, sorry, as it is fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. This guy speaks and it sounds like a waterfall. I got to go by a waterfall last weekend. We were on an anniversary trip. It's loud. It was a small waterfall. Waterfalls are very loud, okay? Jesus entering the stage, his voice, he just speaks and it's like the rush, the cascade of waters, He had seven stars in his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword. Now this is what I'm talking about, right? A a double-edged sword coming from his mouth. He speaks and like daggers are coming out. This is the conquering lion, right? And his face was shining like the sun at full strength. I mean, surely in the throne room when we're saying, where is the one who is worthy? And he says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We said, no, we've seen this guy before just four chapters earlier. Sword mouth, waterfall sound, right? Shining face like the sun. Let's go. And yet that is not what John sees in Revelation chapter five, is it? In Revelation chapter five, In verse six, John turns and when he looks at this worthy one, what is it that he sees? We're gonna let this be the audience participation part of our program, okay? What what is it that he sees when he turns and sees the conquering lion? He sees a lamb. He doesn't see a mighty warrior. He doesn't see a dude with shining face and white hair and swords coming out of his mouth and glowing eyes or whatever. Maybe I made that part up. He doesn't see this majestic conquering image. Instead, he sees a meek and a lowly lamb. And notice that this lamb has been slaughtered. He has been killed. The one who is worthy to accomplish God's saving purposes in all creation, the one who all of our hopes and dreams of righteousness and justice and salvation and redemption and rescue are wrapped up in a lamb that has been slain, killed, destroyed, and yet, friends, do not miss it. Do not miss it. Then I saw like a slaughtered lamb standing. Guys, this is the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. Is that the one who is worthy of accomplishing God's purposes, the one who is able to, in the throne room of heaven, walk up to God himself and say, I will take it, is a lamb slaughtered, standing. The one who came 
lays his life down for your sake and for mine. Destroyed because of your sinfulness and mine and the sinfulness of every person you will ever meet. And yet he stands. How is it that this this one is worthy? How is it that he is conquered? You don't, you don't stand if you're slain. You don't, it just doesn't go together. It's like if I ask you to like smell the color nine or something like that. You're just like, uh, this seems like a trick question. How is it that the slaughtered lamb stands? And the answer is he's conquered. He's conquered the death. He's conquered the grave. He's conquered your sin and my sin and your rebellion and my rebellion and the rebellion of every person who's ever lived. He has taken it all on himself. And so when in the throne room we're saying, who is it that is worthy to do this? Well, the answer is, it is the slain lamb. Now, go with, just, just pay attention in this, this passage here. The fact that the lamb is slain is not just this kind of peripheral detail. It's not just this kind of like, oh, that's a fun thing to note. It is actually the fact that he is slain that makes him worthy. I want you to look at it in, in a few verses. If you look down into verse eight, it is the fact that he is, he is slain that is essential. <laughs> sorry, no, that's not in verse eight. Sorry, uh, da, 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 lamb, uh, verse 11. Nope, verse nine. I'm gonna get it there. Okay. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Why is it that he is worthy? Because you were slain. And you purchase people for God. How? By your blood. You look again in verse 12. They said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered. Why is it that he is worthy? It's because he was slaughtered. The slainness, the slaughteredness, the killedness of this lamb is not just a fun factoid. It is the means by which he accomplished his purposes. Why is it that he became worthy? It's because he was killed. The lamb slain, standing, is worthy. This is not a warrior, it's not a lion, it's a lamb. It is in his humiliation that he is glorious. It is in his very weakness and foolishness of his sacrifice that he is the wisdom of God and the power of God for salvation and redemption and accomplishing the purposes of God. It is through his slaying that he has accomplished this victory. It is conquering through defeat. Friends, brothers, sisters, the gospel is that Jesus is the one who is worthy. The great question that is resounding out through the universe, who is worthy? The answer to that question for us is a resounding Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Who is worthy? to accomplish God's saving purposes, to fulfill his plan. Jesus is worthy. He is able, he is, he is capable, he has the right credentials, he has the right value. He and he alone is worthy. Friends, this is the message that we have. You do not have a message of, well, we've got a great cool church, 
with great pastors and a fun sense of community and we play soccer together and we like to be friends and have a community and dole out uh, uh, Easter eggs and all that kind of stuff. All those things are great. None of those things are the message. The message is Jesus is worthy. You will not save anybody in this city with a message of friends and community and cool church. The only means by which anybody in this city will be saved, rescued, brought up into this plan of God over all creation is the proclamation, Jesus is worthy. He is able, he is capable, he was slaughtered and now he stands. That is the message that is gonna change lives. That is the message that you guys have as you go out into this community, into your neighborhoods, in your work. The message is, behold the lamb, slain, slaughtered, yet standing. I would love to introduce you to him. That is the message of the gospel that we have. So Jesus is worthy to accomplish God's saving purposes. The only other thing I want you to see in this passage is because he is worthy to accomplish God's saving purposes, he is worthy to be worshiped. He, is, he is, has the worth, he has the value, he has the ability to accomplish what God needs to be accomplished. And because of that, he is worthy to be worshiped. You, you see this taking on explicit form starting in verse nine. And they sang a new song to the lamb, right? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased a people for God by your blood from every tribe and lang- sorry, language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. You start to get this picture. They're actually singing songs to the lamb. But I want you to jump back a verse into verse eight. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense. And I love in Revelation, there are sometimes when there's images that are given to us and we're like, that's crazy. I don't know what's going on here. And then John just kind of keeps moving on. And then sometimes he said, here's what's going on. And this time he actually tells us what's going on. What's going on with the harp and the golden bowls filled with incense? And John says, Glad you asked. Those are the prayers of the saints. And then we could just move on, okay? So he, he helps us understand the, the elders and the creatures, they're, they're pouring out the prayers of God's people in all creation before the lamb. And we can look at that and say, well, that's a pretty cool image, I guess. I, I just want you to look back and scan chapter four of Revelation with me. Because chapter four is kind of the immediate precursor to chapter five, not just numerically, but also in this story, okay? And what's happening in chapter four is the elders and the living creatures were kind of saying, what's going on? And I don't really want to get too far into the weeds of interpreting what the creatures are and who they are and all that kind of stuff. What I want you to notice in chapter four is that they seem to have a very singular purpose, and that is to sing praises to God Almighty. The purpose of the creatures and the elders is surrounding the throne of Almighty God and worshiping him as the king of all creation. You can see if you look in verse, uh, let's say uh, halfway through verse six, it says four living creatures covered with eyes in front and back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion, the second creature like an ox, the third living creature had the face of a man and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And each four living creatures had six wings and they were covered with eyes around the side day and night, never 
stopping, never stop saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they would fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast down their crowns before the one on the throne and say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and your and by your will they existed and were created you get the picture of what's going on in the throne room elders creatures they have one job worship the lord god almighty and yet when we get into chapter five the lamb who stands though slaughtered they, they behold the wisdom and the majesty of the accomplishment of God in this and say, the one who is worthy to accomplish God's saving purposes is a, is a killed lamb who now somehow is standing and those elders and the living creatures who have one job to worship the one true God, they now turn and where do they direct that worship? To the lamb. When he took the scroll in verse eight, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fall down before the lamb. The, the mystery that is going on here, God's saving purposes accomplished through this slain lamb that is standing. And now everybody in the throne room, everybody who knows what's going on, everybody who sees and truly knows and understands who the one true God is, they look at the lamb and they say, everything that we rightly owe to the one true God of the universe, we can rightly attribute to the slain lamb who stands. Friends, he is not only capable, Jesus has not only shown himself to be capable of accomplishing God's saving purposes, he has shown himself to be worthy of the worship and the honor and the praise of every living being. We go out and we offer to people a slain lamb who stands and says, your hope, your only hope in all creation is found in this crucified Messiah who was raised from the dead for your good. It's a, oh man, celebrate. Let me introduce you to him. But we also say you need to recognize the slain, the slain lamb, the slaughtered lamb who stands. He will receive all glory and honor and praise from all creation because he is worthy to be worshiped just like God himself. He is shown here in Revelation 5 to be identified with the one true God. The slain lamb who stands is shown himself to be divine in all the fullness. I just love the, the image, right? Again, going back to the drama. If someone's not aware, and I'm totally sorry, I've totally lost track of time, but we're, just, we're gonna land the plane here in just a second. If someone's just like an innocent bystander, Looking around and being like, man, who is worthy? There's the lamb. He's worthy. This is great. That's crazy. And then the creatures and elders who have been worshiping the one true God then redirect their worship and their praise to this lamb. The, the bystander who's not really knowledgeable is going to say, is everybody okay with this? Like just looking around and saying, is anybody else bothered by the fact that those who are worshiping the king of all kings are now worshiping this, this lamb? And just imagine being so scandalized when no one in the throne room says, oh, there's anything wrong with this. This seems appropriate. 
The Lord himself does not get down off the throne and say, how dare you redirect my worship to this lamb? But instead, it seems entirely appropriate. And so in verse 11, the chorus of those praising the lamb grows. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures uh, and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory, sorry, honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature, get, get this, okay? Last, last thing. In verse nine, we are told that by his blood, he purchased for God, by your blood, people from every tribe and language and people and nation. There is, there is the recognition that by the blood of Jesus, the saving purposes of God to take the gospel to all nations, it's accomplished in, in Jesus. No longer is this Messiah simply a, a Jewish savior, but he is a global savior. The gospel is for all nations, anybody that's ever gonna get saved is gonna happen through the person and the work of Jesus. That's how it's all gonna happen. That's why we preach Jesus. There's nobody else that's worthy, only the lamb. We preach this one man who is, who is worthy and, and it tells us that the ransom, the rescue, the redemption, the salvation is available only through Jesus. And so friends, I don't even wanna presume in a, in a group this size, friends that you know, just know, know this. There is salvation in no one else other than the lamb that is held out in this passage, Jesus Christ. If you are going to be rescued, redeemed, brought up into the saving plan of the one true God in all eternity, it is going to be through the personal work of Jesus. But what verses 11 and 12, are to, uh, sorry, 11, 12, 13, and 14 are telling us is that all creation will know and will proclaim that the lamb is worthy. You will either be brought up into this lamb joyfully, gladly, recognizing, celebrating his redemption for you on your behalf or every creature in eventually, if every creature is going to recognize that the lamb is worthy of blessing and honor and glory and power, just like the one seated on the throne forever and ever. In verse 14, the four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Friends, here's the question for us. Will we behold the lamb in all of his glory and all of his grace and all of his, his dignity, his value, his accomplishment on our behalf and will we submit to him? Will we joyfully be caught up with him by trusting in his being slain and his conquering death standing on our behalf? Or will we be forced to recognize even in our continued rebellion Will we push back against it and begrudgingly have to acknowledge he is worthy? That's really the option for us. Will we receive his rescue and his salvation? Brothers and sisters, Christians, the question for you is will you behold him? Will you stand in the throne room of Revelation 5 and will you just allow yourself to be astounded at the person of Jesus Christ. The lamb slain for you that now stands. And will that propel you to proclaim his worthiness, his value, his dignity to the people the Lord has placed in your life and spreading out to all the nations because he is worthy of all of their praise and glory and honor forever and ever, amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for 
this vision that you've given to us. You didn't have to make known to us what's going on and what you're doing in, in heaven. Lord, we just thank you for making Jesus known. God, we ask that you would stir in our hearts. I ask that you stir in my hearts a continued recognition. God, that you are, and that Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy. You have sent him to accomplish your purposes and your plan. And in your kindness, you've made him known. God, I pray for King's Cross Church that this would be a community of people that behold the lamb, the one who is worthy, and that they live their lives in such a way that commends Christ to people and that they open their mouths and proclaim the worthiness of Christ to everybody that they come into contact, so, co- contact with so that you receive the glory and honor that you're due. And we love you and we thank you. We thank you for sending the lamb, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.